San Diego's talk radio leader, 760 KFMB presents It's Your Money and Your Life. For the next hour, Richard Musio and Joe Vecchio will educate and inform you on matters related to your financial future, your life, and your leisure. Now, with It's Your Money and Your Life, here are Richard and Joe. All right. Good evening, everybody. My name is Joe Vecchio, your co-host, announcer, and producer, coming to you from KFNB Studios with 50,000 watts of power. We're heard not just in San Diego County, but Orange County, L.A. County, up the coast of Seattle on a good night, down to Cabo, out to the desert. If you get the app for 760 KFNB, you can hear us on your smartphone. And if you go to iTunes and look up the title of the show, It's Your Money in Your Life, you can get us free on iTunes. And we str- and we have all these podcasts commercial-free on iymoney.com. Now time to introduce the main man of the hour. He's a CPA extraordinaire. He's an accomplished uh, author and marathon runner. He is a family office advisor, advising several high net worth families. He's a, a philanthropist and all around good guy. His name is Richard Musto. Richard, good evening. How are you tonight? Doing splendidly, Joe. It's good <laughs> to be here as always. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, um, I happened to see Roseanne Barr last Saturday night, Balboa Theater, and uh, I got to say, she was. Pretty hilarious. Did they let her do the national anthem? <laughs> I was thinking of that, no. But uh, she was joking about being overweight before, and she's got a new diet plan. She says uh, you have to uh, eat naked in front of a mirror, and uh, it works. So <laughs> You have to keep your eyes open? You cut, you cut. She said, but the fancier restaurants don't like that. But, uh, and, I was going to say, where do you do that but I besides tell you, at home? <laughs> when the lights came on and we were exiting, though, I noticed a lot of people, uh, you know, they, they need to try that plan <laughs> <laughs> that was quite, a, quite. A, but I tell you, pretty packed, packed house in in more ways than one. So, hey, you've been following any of the Letterman shows? He's got two weeks to go here. And I actually, have not actually one week by the time this uh, this thing airs. But yeah. uh, anyway, it's been interesting. Except I just been up and staying up too late. And um, and let me ask you about the Brady penalty. What do you think of that? You know, a lot of people don't realize he's also going to lose two million in salary when he when he misses. I think it's them. good. I, I see he gets to come back and open up against Indianapolis. Yeah, that'll be interesting, huh? They can sell a bunch of deflated footballs with his face on it. I think they should have made the balls as hard as bricks and fill them up. (laughs) And fill them up. He's going to appeal. He'll get less than four games. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think the NFL is going to let them embarrass him, but but we shall see. So, hey, any movies or events to talk about before we get into our interview tonight? Nah, not really. I got to scoot out of town this week to go pick my daughter up at San Jose State, moving her out of dorms after her first year. So, gotcha. Well, the wrecking crew. I got to go home and pack. Well, the incredible wrecking crew is still running at La Jolla Landmark, and uh, I think might be at La Paloma. They're, it just finished at La Paloma. I know they keep and they keep bringing you back for like one one show time. No, it's a something day. like Hello Yogananda. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, is that a Yogi Bear and Boo Boo movie? What is that? La Paloma. You know, they, I don't know where they, where they get their films from, but the wrecking crew is great. And uh, I'm assuming Hello Yogananda came from India, Hello. but I'm just guessing. <laughs> Hello Yogananda. <laughs> I've got to. I wonder if they're even on IMDb. I don't even know. If the, People were fighting to get in. They need to see the movie. Hello, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> you don't know who's in that or what it's about or anything. No, right? I know nothing. Well, gosh, you shouldn't even bring. But now, I love the wrecking crew there. Now I'm cru- now I'm curious. I'm going to have to look it up. But but anyway, also our friend Rod Roddenberry, uh, who's son of the great creator of Star Trek, uh, they are going to fi- uh, have a screening of his wonderful documentary about his dad and Star Trek at uh, July 9th at MOPA. It's called Trek Nation, as you may know, and uh, we're going to have the person who's hosting that event on with us uh, right in the beginning of July to talk about it, Bill Powers with Power Scuba. It's cool. My kids are doing a documentary about me. It's called, Hey You, I Need Money. <laughs> and you're doing the sequel. sequel I'm, but, I'm paying for it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
It's just two words on that one. It's a different title with a variation on a theme. But anyway. (laughs) (laughs) We digress. We digress. Hey, we've got a a wonderful guest tonight. He's an esteemed attorney. He's been in town here for many, many years. And he's been working in the field of class action law with great success for all that time. And um, full disclosure, he's a friend. And he's doing a lot of great philanthropic work and uh, work in the field of animal rights. And we'd like to welcome Howard Finkelstein to our show. Howard, how are you tonight? F- fine. Thanks for uh, inviting me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. I, 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 before you start, I have two quick comments about what you were talking about. One, mm-hmm. uh, I actually use a much different diet program. Instead of standing <laughs> on the scale, I actually hold it above my head. <laughs> Build up your biceps. And, That's and, good. And that works very well. <laughs> Interestingly, I got a call from a fellow attorney mm-hmm. um, in New York just yesterday on my mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. back from San Francisco, who wanted to know whether or not there was a basis for a class action as a result of the deflate gate issue. Oh, that's right. There's a guy in town trying to bring a case like that. Well, I didn't know that. Yeah. And, uh, what do you think? It, well, it's kind of interesting because there's two ways to look at it. I mean, I you know, we'd have to study it more carefully, but there's, there's the question of whether or not the fans got what they paid for at the Super Bowl. Depends mm-hmm. uh, on who you're rooting for. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's the bigger money. Well, of course, it's the, right, the Seattle probably. But the bigger money is the, is the betting. Yeah. Well, my question is, I, I think they caught it in time for the Super Bowl, but it was the games leading up to it where, uh, where they were hosted by New England. Apparently, they had control of the, uh, the footballs. And I can't believe the NFL uh, doesn't. I think in Major League Baseball, don't the umpires and the officials have control of those in, uh, in custody? But well, obviously, you can't deflate a baseball, mm-hmm. but you probably can alter one, you know, and they've done that in the past, scuffing and all the, everything else. But um, Isn't it just part of the game? What, scuffing the cheat? Well, if you're the New England Patriots? Cheating, cheating is just part of the game. If you're the New that, England Patriots? That's, that's the role model we want to see. Well, I'm saying if you're the New England Patriots, isn't cheating just part of the game? Well, that's, well Belichick has certainly been caught at it before. Right. Well, you know what? There's going to be a bunch of experts weighing in now about deflating a football in, in any capacity if that can affect the game. And apparently, you know, especially if they did it just for Brady and not for the other guy. Uh, you know what I mean? If well, the, 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 you, I think your point is well taken. The, the Footballs clearly should be controlled by the referees. Yeah, uh, each team shouldn't be allowed to bring its own what thirty or thirty-five balls and, and yeah. inflate them. Or and apparently, those two guys whatever. who were involved in the actual deflation—they're uh, banned for life from in the NFL. Well, so. they're, they're indefinitely suspended. Well, you mean the shrewd one? Well, isn't that, inde- isn't that for life, Richard? Indefinitely? No, forever. that means they may be able to petition. Well, def- definitely may means forever. But anyway, <laughs> but I digress. Oh, I, I was mistaken about the class action. There's a local attorney in San Diego bringing a class action suit against Manny Pacquiao for... Uh, that, that's that yeah. my... Well, I won't offer my legal opinion. My personal opinion is it was a boring fight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was financially set up to be a boring fight, but I don't know exactly... Uh, th- that that the particular case is pretty difficult. It seems to me when you have... To go back to the, the issue of deflate gate, mm-hmm. um, it seems to me... I haven't thought this through a lot, and I'm not sure that we, we would pursue it, but it seems to me that where you have regulations and the regulations affect exactly the way the game is played mm-hmm. and it gives one team an unfair advantage, yeah. and that team ends up in the Super Bowl, yeah. most likely because of that. Yeah. There's a you know, causation issue. You do have an issue... First of all, with respect to the fans' expectations, mm-hmm. um, they went to see a game that's supposed to be played fairly, right. which is not being played fairly. 
Um, and second of all, and I think more importantly, is the issue of the le- legal betting, aside from the illegal betting, yeah. that was clearly affected by it. So, yeah. I mean, I think there may be something that is worth pursuing. It raises issues about what do you do about Barry Bonds and, yeah. and so forth and so on, who also violated um, the regulations. Well, Bonds and a lot of guys, Sosa McGuire, Canseco, right. I mean, right. there's a lot of home run hitters that, uh, in, you know, obviously en- enhance their their uh, their numbers and home runs. Oh, so the, Sue, Sue, in that case, are the pitchers. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, and the issue, the issue even, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but the issue, because it just came up yesterday and you mentioned it during the, the uh, opening, um, but but it seems to me that the it's a, it's a major issue, obviously, um, it's big potential case. Uh, I'm not sure how the NFL would deal with it, but the issue really is who do you sue? If yeah. you're a betting, if you bet, a, you know, if you went to Las Vegas and bet a fair amount on the uh, on the playoff game and then on the Super Bowl as well, mm-hmm. um, and you lost, then who's responsible to repay that? It would sound like it would be the New England Patriots, but now you're talking about potentially. Hundreds of maybe you could sue the league too. I mean, they're a fifty billion dollar a year industry for guys. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what their responsibility would be because they apparently have this rule that was set up purposely to allow this sort of thing, where each team brings its own football. This sounds like the pop league. (laughs) (laughs) Bring your own uniform. Bring your own football. And I think I think Pacquiao might be a different, uh, an easier case because the basis of this law, the, the lawsuit that uh, the attorney downtown is bringing, is the fact that he did not disclose his injury, his shoulder, shoulder, shoulder injury before the fight, which he's supposed to do on the form to the boxing commission. And um, guy had sur- he had surgery on his uh, shoulder a few days after the fight, so apparently it was bad enough. Uh, he would have re- lost anyway. Rotator. <laughs> Well, probably, but <laughs> but you know, uh, he still wasn't one hundred percent apparently, and uh, and a lot of people didn't get their money's worth. And my gosh, for the money it generated. How, how old is Pacquiao? Well, they're both 36, in their thirties. They're both in their late thirties. Okay, well, after that many fights, you're never one hundred percent. Yeah, it's impossible. Yeah. yeah. Well, the other guy, Mayweather, he's uh, he's in pretty good shape. I'm fifty six. So. If I was one hundred percent to go play tennis, I'd never play tennis. Well, tell it to Bobby Riggs and Billy Jean. <laughs> Exactly. (laughs) Anyway, Howard Frankelstein, uh, born in the Philly area, right? Philadelphia? Correct. Correct. And um, went to a... uh, Overbrook Park? Overbrook Park. Wilt Wilt Chamberlain played basketball at Overbrook High School. Everybody knows this. I I, I, I went to UCLA fan. I went to Central High School, which was a special school for special children mm-hmm. uh-huh. did you uh, ride a little yellow bus no <laughs> no i rode i rode two subways and a and a bus to get there okay. wow. that's the way it was in the old days isn't that something but i had to get into central high school because i was jewish mm-hmm. and i was white and my only other choice would have been overbrook high mm-hmm. school and the life expectancy back in the 60s <laughs> unfortunately way before our more enlightened time was about 2 weeks what it was so a tough tough I, school did they have real fingers over, in the finger over, sandwiches or overbrook what? overbrook <laughs> high school was a very tough school a very yeah, tough school i can school. imagine and known as a tough school yeah. it's famous for the fact that will chamberlain went there mm-hmm. um, but uh, uh, i i was highly motivated mm-hmm. to keep my academic studies up <laughs> Well, it, it obviously worked out. You're in San Diego, living the good life. So, but yes, <laughs> hey, you were, you know, you were talking uh, also during the opening about um, leisure and work and money and so forth. Mm-hmm. I guess 
Uh, and I, we can go through more of my background if mm-hmm. you want, but I'm right at the stage of my life for various reasons, medical included, where I'm looking at uh, not being able to practice law, which I've been doing for 30 plus years. And uh, the transition, aside from the financial uh, effects of it, but the emotional, psychological mm-hmm. transition, I think is something that a lot of people, at least in my age group, are facing because most of my friends and colleagues that I talk to who are in their early 60s are beginning to, you know, face that. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if that's a topic that you No, that's definitely, in, and it's part of the reason, you know, we named the show It's Your Money and Your Life, and we put money in quotes because it's I've all about... I've got a comment to make about that, but we've got to listen to some music. Yeah, we do. We've got to take a little break. We'll come right back with Howard Finkelstein, class action attorney, right after this. Hang on. We're back. That's good uh, legal beat music. Uh, we're back with class action attorney Howard Finkelstein of Finkelstein and Krintz downtown. We talked to his partner a few months ago, Jeffrey Krintz. Hope he's doing well. With name partners on, you know, the same show. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. We've never yes. done that before. Howard. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yep. I don't know how he did, but. He did fine. He was all right. He was, okay. He just tell him right. he was all right. <laughs> Richard, he was fine. He was great. All right. So you went to Central High School, Penn State, history and political science major, and then into Temple Law School. It's all in Philadelphia, right? Yeah. And Bill Cosby, of course, is the famous graduate from Temple. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, you clerked for a federal judge in Philly. Was that in Philly? It was in Philadelphia, the Eastern District of Pennsylvania. Judge uh, Van Archdalen, one of the most wonderful uh, mentors one could ever expect. That's hard to do to get those jobs, isn't it? Or uh, Federal law clerk, any law clerk position, whether it's state court or federal, is very difficult to get. And mm-hmm. it is a wonderful honor to be able to be chosen by, in this case, a federal judge and a particularly great federal judge. Mm-hmm. And I can't uh, tell anybody that there's any better way to start your legal career than to clerk for a judge. Sure. Um, to see from the beginning what it looks like from the yeah. behind behind the curtain, so to speak. Uh, well, plus you're getting to see all these attorneys experience. bring cases every day, so uh, it helps you if you're going to get into litigation. I would think. Well, it we- certainly it certainly shows you how many bad attorneys there can be out there Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) because the few that really know what they're doing and really know how to appear in front of a judge and argue a motion and try Mm -hmm. a case successfully and appeal to a jury Mm -hmm. are few and far between. Well, they have to prepare, but, uh, you know, the workload and everything else and the stress of it all. So then uh, assistant U.S. attorney, was that in Philadelphia also? It was. 78, 81? It was. And I was the... um, uh, liaison counsel for the Philadelphia U.S. Attorney's Office and the Department of Justice mm. in D.C. for what was then a major case, which is now becoming more prominent again, where we brought a suit against uh, Mayor Rizzo. Mm. Some of us older people might remember. I remember. He was a sort of legendary police commissioner and mayor, mm-hmm. um, and the Philadelphia Department of Police for a pattern and practice of civil rights violations. There you go. There's and, still <laughs> nothing new under the sun, huh? Well, we, I did, yeah. It was sort of, it's sort of a shame to see that there really hasn't been as much change as, as I would have thought, but I was responsible for, with two FBI agents, for interviewing uh, a number of the citizens of Philadelphia, 
prominent, pre- predominantly black citizens mm-hmm. uh, who were asked to come in literally through television ads and newspaper ads mm-hmm. to our office to tell us what experiences they've had. In the first few, uh, which shocked me, uh, I thought, well, there's got to be just a couple of bad apples on the Philadelphia Police Department, but the more evidence we developed and the more information we got and how these people had the guts to come in to talk to us mm-hmm. it was amazing and i could tell you stories that would last the entire segment but uh it was horrifying yeah. and we ultimately did get an injunction this was under the carter administration though right that Basically. was under carter the carter administration yeah. it was approved by carter yeah it had to go all the way up to carter because frank rizzo was a democrat yeah. and a very prominent Democrat who yeah. had delivered Philadelphia, if not most of Pennsylvania, to Carter for his election. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, the uh, number of complaints that had been coming out of Philadelphia uh, regarding the police department just forced him, I guess, ultimately to, to do the right thing. Was he forced out of office or would he face any sanctions or uh, criminal, we, civil, anything? We ended up getting um, an injunction, a fairly strong injunction from Judge then Judge Ditter, mm-hmm. uh, who was equally appalled by the evidence that was presented in what's called the J memo, the justification memo prepared by the Department of Justice, who enjoined... Uh, well, first of all, most importantly, we were the first city, I believe, who by court order was required to have a civilian oversight panel that would review these complaints Mm. uh, of civil rights violations. And I guess that was the key part of the injunction. There were sanctions, fines, et cetera, but he was not driven from office. He Mm -hmm. retired after that term of his office and became the head of security at Caesars Palace in New Jersey. <laughs> like Joe Lewis or something. The doorman. Uh, but the oh, stories boy. were horrific. I yeah. mean, I can't... Well, you uh, know, I think the, the game changer today are the, uh, obviously, the cell phones, the video cameras on our cell phones because none of these stories... It's just like the Zapruder film. I was talking about this the other day. If that Zapruder film didn't exist, we would not, you know, the, the whole JFK, uh, any other scrutiny about that incident uh, would have gone away because we just would we just... We'd almost only have really the Warren report to go off of, but um, but today these videos uh, all over the country uh, revealing some pretty disturbing stuff, and and, and you know, the, the, it's amazing to me that anybody would do anything that's even remotely close to being outside the lines, given how easy it is to capture it. Well, they, well, uh, there are. I, I think there aren't enough people yet that are, uh, I, and I think these uniform cameras will make. Mm-hmm. Some difference. Right. The question is whether the well, officer is going to be able to turn it on and off. Yeah, it wasn't working when I killed the guy. Yeah, the other day. Well, yeah. you know, I think we have to give him a little bit of benefit of the doubt. I, I, I even so. despite my experience, and I mean firsthand experience way back in the 70s, mm-hmm. um, uh, I think there was a group of officers in the Philadelphia Police Department who were responsible, and there was a group that probably pretty much played by the rules. But for example, the rules in Philadelphia was if you cheated on your wife, you were fired immediately by Frank Rizzo. (laughs) But if you uh, literally, um, if you um, uh, did some of the horrible things they did, I mean, they used to drag, when they were bored, the West West Detective Division would drag a elderly black man off the street uh, accuse him of crime, tell him if he takes a lie detector test, he'll be uh, you know, if he passes, he'll be let go, and they would put a hubcap on his head that had wires that went to a copying machine. 
Oh my gosh. <laughs> and they would ask him, of course, his name and out would come true. And then they would ask him a few more questions. And then they would ask him if he had committed the crime and out would come uh, the paper that said false. <laughs> and this was just for fun. Um, oh my gosh. And that was, and, and that's proven. Uh, again, this goes back a lot of years. I have no idea what the Philadelphia Police Department is up to these days, but that'll give you a little insight into how long this kind of problem has been going on. Yeah. Well, it's a tough, tough job, but Rizzo certainly created a culture that was, well, Well, he was horrible. famous. He was famous during the Philadelphia riots mm -hmm. for coming out of a fundraiser with a, with a, uh, a nightstick stuck in his cummerbund. Right. I don't know if right. you remember that. Really? I remember yeah, that. He I'm, had a real tough... He, he actually wrote a letter to President Kennedy asking for a World War II submarine. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. We got these documents oh to... Uh, to uh, patrol uh, the river Patrol the Delaware River. Mm -hmm. I guess he was afraid of being attacked by Camden, oh but... <laughs> so guy, um, he probably he could he probably was racist uh, in some capacity. I would have to say. Yeah, there was no question. I mean, it was yeah. clear that he didn't care about any any abuse by the police. Yeah. What he cared about was whether you were cheating on your wife, whether you had an alcohol problem, a gambling problem. That's how you got fired from yeah. the police departments. And we don't want to bash the police at all because I know it's a very tough job. No, I was, and, and most of the police that I've encountered in San Diego have been total gentlemen and uh, and, uh, and ladies also. Absolutely, I think yeah. I think it needs to be said from what we found out that that it really was a group, but it was a culture, mm -hmm. uh, like Rich said, and and um, it, and it was and it started at the top. It mm -hmm. started with Frank Rizzo. Yeah, I yeah. can say that now because he's deceased. I mean, look at our town. We have a we have a woman who's a police chief. For gosh sake, I mean, how many yeah. towns have that? Although she's a pretty tough police chief. Yeah, but I think she's pretty straightforward about uh, not putting up with corruption in the police department no. or these kinds of violations. No, all the reports about Shelly are uh, are excellent. We should get her on the yeah. show at some. She'd point. be fun to have on the show. Yeah. We'll get her. I know she's. Um, Does she's... that mean I'm not doing? Well no. no, I don't mean right we don't now. Mean the second half of this show. <laughs> just mean later. Howard, you're doing. Well, you're doing. That was a short-lived. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, we, we wouldn't have to worry about the groupies that no, night. No, if she we, were here, we'd finally have some security. Go, huh? We're going to get into so your you class. Actually, you actually saw the groupies outside? Yeah. <laughs> well, they don't know we were coming in to tape this one, but when we go live, it's, it's mayhem out there, Howard. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So are here for our, our soundboard guy, Justin. So how did you find uh, San Diego in your sights? And, and uh, I, got, I got divorced in Philadelphia. Oh. <laughs> But how'd you Instead find of out? moving 3,000 miles away? <laughs> well, as far I went as, I as far go. away as I could. My, my uh, family had uh, preceded me out here. My brothers were in San Francisco, uh -huh. and my parents had moved and basically retired to San Diego, so California uh. seemed like the place to go. Uh, I came out here. I interviewed with firms in San Francisco. I interviewed with um, uh, Milberg Weiss here mm -hmm. in San Diego, class action firm. Mm -hmm. I had spent most of my short career up to that point in federal court, both as a law clerk and as an assistant U.S. attorney. Mm -hmm. And uh, Milberg Weiss did federal, mostly federal litigation, securities class actions. And so mm -hmm. I decided to stay here in San Diego, which made my parents just absolutely thrilled. That's great. So, uh, Milberg, I mean, did you... Um you did your little research and due diligence and, and target them in particular? Yeah, I did get offers from other firms, if that's what you're asking. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah. anyway, yeah. we're going to come right back with Howard Finkelstein, class action attorney, all-around good guy and philanthropist, right after this. Hang on. All right, we're back with the second half of the award-winning It's Your Money and Your Life, and now time to go over to Richard to thank our sponsors. 
Big thank you to our sponsors as always, Michael Corwantra and Drew Friedis with UBS. Couldn't do it without UBS, our two favorite CPAs on the planet. Number one, Jason Kruger with Signature Analytics, the best CFO firm, I can now say, here on the West Coast since they've grown from one office to five since they've been sponsors of this radio show. Polito Epic CPAs up in San Marcos. They're coming up in June as a guest, Don Epic and Paul Polito CPA. Carl Sheeler with Berkeley Research Group, by far and away the best business valuation firm here on the planet, helping business owners understand the risks that drive the values of their businesses and how to reduce those risks and increase value. Speaking of saving lots of money, Joel Grushkin with Cost Segregation Initiatives, helping real estate owners improve their cash flow. If you need to protect all that cash flow, how about Brenda Geiger, Geiger Law Office, specializing in asset protection and estate planning. California Republic Bank, Lane Elliott. California Republic Bank is a really neat niche market bank that serves family offices and wealthy families. The former, while still known as Mars Maddox Insurance, but now known as Hub International, by far and away the best employee benefits firm that I've ever come across. Um, And given the complexity in employee benefits, um, great, great resource, Hub International. Upcoming guest, Paul Hines with Hearthstone Wealth Management. Paul heads up End Financial Elder Abuse Alliance. That was a great show a few months ago, and he's coming up again, and that's a great, great topic um, as our population ages. The LG Experience in the Lombardi Group, helping wealth advisors make heroes out of CPAs to the very best clients of those CPAs. You know, we just did a webinar last week through the LG Experience where I was the guest, and we had over almost 400 CPAs tune in for that. I didn't know there were 400 CPAs still awake after tax season. But I guess so. And last but not least, professional women's tennis coming back to Carlsbad. That's North County, San Diego. Thanksgiving week, running in conjunction with my Oceanside Turkey Trot charity event. That would be the Carlsbad Classic. Check out cldclassic.com. And also big thanks to Courtney Laver, PopX Graphics, for keeping track of all of this on where, Joe? Well, if they want to find out more about our sponsors, just get over to iymoney.com. There is a um, sponsor tab at the top of the page there. Just put your cursor on that, and there's a drop-down menu. You can click on any or all of them and find out more about their business, professional careers, etc. And I know they've been working with Richard for many, many years with great success. Correct, Richard? Some of them dating back to the late 1980s, <laughs> which I don't even remember. <laughs> In the pre-cell phone, pre-computer days, We right? used to carry dimes around to make cell phone calls. You remember that, Howard? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, so, I mean uh, pay phone pay, calls. Pay phones. What did you call I, those it, things? Pay phones. Pay Is there phones. one still left? <laughs> Payphones. Payphones. Carry dimes around. There's one payphone in a place called, uh, I think, Third Avenue. It's a, it's, it's a place in Uni Heights. It's like an incubator place for a bunch of entrepreneurs, okay. and they actually have a phone booth. People in go there. and stare at it. I don't know if it works or not, but <laughs> it just, uh, it's amazing. Although the other day I was on the elevator, we came out of the, the, the Roseanne show and we got in the elevator and this guy and a couple of young gals and we said, we just saw you, Roseanne and this young girl said, who is that? Boy, then you know you're getting old. <laughs> <laughs> I could tell you stories all day long about that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, we're back with Howard Finkelstein here. Uh, I know he joined Milberg Weiss, and of course your legendary boss, Bill Lyric, was uh, our first guest on this show in October of 2011, and he's been on the show a few times after that. Always fascinating and interesting guy. But uh, I remember one year I got a big package from Milberg Weiss in the mail. It was just before the holidays, and I was afraid to open it. You could maybe explain to our listeners why I might be, so I gave it to my attorney. 
He calls somebody goes, why did you give me Milberg Weiss's holiday calendar? <laughs> <laughs> you thought you were getting a, a subpoena or something, right? But uh, anyway, I know he had that big class action suit against the United Methodist Church for the stuff they pulled against uh, the retired folks and, and uh, kind of... Um, um, uh, I don't want to say screwing them, but you know, to, uh, well, it was right. Yeah, it was defraud, very, defrauding it was, them out of their 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 retirement uh, fees or whatever. It or was a um, local case, mm -hmm. so it got a lot of notoriety here in San Diego. I think there were probably similar cases across the country mm -hmm. that, that ultimately either were brought or should have been brought. But mm -hmm. yes, it was a uh, a difficult case to take on against a an entity that, of course, on the face of it, had great credibility, but that's what we do. Yeah. Um, in fact, I've spent the last uh, almost 15 years of my career going after insurance companies, particularly with respect to class action elder abuse type of cases. Hmm. Um, we just finished up the sixth of uh, a number of what are called senior annuities cases against some of the most major insurance companies hmm. across the globe. The case we just finished is a company called Allianz, which I'm sure all your listeners are familiar with, who spent the last 10 years uh, uh, effectively selling uh, annuities to senior citizens. And let mm -hmm. me tell you, if, you're, uh, if you have a short-term investment horizon given your age many of these people were in their literally early 80s uh, the last thing you want to do is invest in a long-term investment pro uh, product right. right because they want their money back and there's huge fees to get out and the surrender charges are anywhere between 10 to 15 percent right. which covers the commissions which are outrageous right. which they have to pay to these sort of uh, insurance agents who can't quite make it in the insurance industry who mm -hmm. are willing to go to these people's homes and sell them a bill of goods. Uh, we've seen cases, uh, instances in which they literally not only took their life savings out of their mutual funds and oh other investments, uh, but then talked them into a reverse mortgage oh, to geez. take the money out of their home oh to put into these annuities. And it was all done on the basis of fear, which was uh, essentially... Uh, you don't want to outlive your money, and this oh will guarantee God. you a monthly payment no matter how long you live. Uh, what you give up, of course, is complete access to your funds so that if you have a financial problem, whether it's medical or uh, your mortgage or your children or whatever, you simply can't access your funds without paying a very, very substantial surrender charge, at least in the first 10 to 15 years, and these people were in their 80s. So this wasn't going to mature until well after their life expectancy. So elder abuse is a very serious, yeah. serious problem, particularly well, we because we're all getting older. Well, I know contractors do it and everything, so, and everything else, but how many how many people were affected by that case, uh, Howard? Well, the Allianz case was a national case. I don't know the exact numbers, but it's in the hundreds of hundreds of thousands wow. of elderly people. And what's that case uh, value, valued at, would you I say? I believe the uh, settlement value ultimately, well, we, we allege damages of over a billion dollars, mm -hmm. but that's because it included what's called a RICO claim racketeering mm -hmm. yeah. corrupt mm -hmm. acts uh, sure. organization act sure which carries um, uh, treble damages three like a criminal damages. enterprise which it probably right. was well you know you don't have to have quote a criminal enterprise involving italians to bring a rico no. That's a misnomer, okay? <laughs> the, the defense counsel like to argue that to the judge regularly but there's nothing in the act that says anything about italians yeah um, so RICO is a very effective way and one of the few ways left to bring 
this kind of a lawsuit on behalf of, for example, in this case, hundreds of thousands of elderly people who had been taken advantage of severely by Allianz working through a network of agents that they had put together. So and that's what you needed for, so for a RICO it, it, claim. Uh, you're at the settlement phase now? Yeah, we're at the settlement phase. Uh, the settlement is, I believe, uh, estimated to be in the uh, half a billion to 700 million range. Wow. Um, uh, it's a very substantial settlement, but we fought the case for, well, this August will be 10 years from the date the case was first filed. Oh, my gosh. Actually, oh. July. Huh. Well, um, congratulations. Yeah, the insurance companies have deep pockets. They have deep pockets, and what they don't have is insurance. Right. You know, it's it's, it's, a, it's a, <laughs> no, it's an odd thing when you sue a uh, uh, you know a publicly traded company. They have D and O coverage, mm-hmm. and ultimately, those cases I won't say they're easy to settle, but they're easier to settle because ultimately, it's the insurance company that pays. Mm-hmm. Insurance companies do not have insurance for these kinds of claims. Isn't that something? And so, it's coming out of their they need, pockets. They need to be licensed and bonded for God's sake. Well, they're licensed, yeah, of course. They're not bonded. They're not bonded, yeah. and I don't know who in the hell would bond them because, <laughs> well, you take AIG, which, of course, was a complete disaster, essentially mm-hmm. an insurance company that insured all these derivatives that turned mm-hmm. out to be junk, mm-hmm. uh, and they didn't have nearly the reserves necessary. So when mm-hmm. you talk about bonded, what you're really talking about is making sure that these insurance companies have substantial enough reserves to be able to pay most, if not all, the claims. I mean, one of the greatest dangers we faced in the course of that nine years of litigation was when the Great Recession happened. Uh, I don't think anybody realized that in addition to the banks failing, the insurance companies would have been next. Everybody thought, well, my money's safe mm-hmm. in these annuities. Thanks, Thank God. Don't they go bankrupt sometimes and reform sure, and try to get sure. out of that? They the, don't call it bankrupt, bankruptcy because it's it called right reorganization yeah. under the state insurance laws, but mm-hmm. it's essentially bankruptcy. And the only thing that banks it up is a uh, each state has a guaranteed insurance, and they pay so much money into it, but it's a bit of a joke because mm. if a major company like uh, Equitable went down uh, or something, it, the the amount that they would owe, uh, it couldn't nearly be enough to be covered by these state funds. So, mm. so when you look at an insurance company, you really do have to look at their best rating, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Shop around and do your due diligence, yeah, right? Because because insurance companies do fail. Fascinating, Howard. Howard, is it easier wait, to bring a class wait, action wait, suit? Wait, Richard, we have to yeah. take a little oh, break. We have to take a break. Yeah, okay. we're going to come right back, back with the home stretch. We'll get into philanthropies. I'll try to remember where we are. All right, we'll come right back with Howard right after this. Hang on. We're back with one of the Avengers, Howard Finkelstein, <laughs> <laughs> class action attorney. I remember that's that's from that show, Emma yeah, Peel. I think, I think I'm Ant Man. Emma Peel, sure. John Steed. I remember that. John Steed, right? Justin, correct? Yeah, Avenger. <laughs> anyway, Howard, uh, my question before the break: was, easier these days to bring a class action suit, or, or much more difficult mm-hmm. than it was, say, 20 years ago? Much, much, much more difficult. The um, uh, judges who have been appointed by the Republican administrations from Reagan through the two Bush brothers are basically defense lawyers who represented corporate America for all of their careers and uh, clearly are not particularly uh, interested in protecting consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say that uh, it is become almost impossible the supreme court put it sort of put a nail in the coffin with the conception at&t case in which they held that arbitration clauses in everyday contracts 
when you go by a cell phone or mm-hmm. this or that are uh, are enforceable, and uh, the the class action ban is enforceable. So you didn't know this because most people don't pay much attention to what the Supreme Court does or how powerful it is. But in the five four decision. They basically made it impossible for you to bring a consumer class action for almost any product you buy because they all have these arbitration. Yeah, they want to force. They want you to bring your suit one at a time now, right? Correct. And uh, Correct. which is kind of r- ridiculous if there's because yeah, most people don't have the kind of money that if the legal system requires. But if they're putting out a, a product uh, or service that injures people, uh, a whole group of people or thousands of people. Um, Obviously, it, it makes more sense to, to bring a suit on behalf of I all of I think my them, phone but. is injuring me because texting is making me dumber. <laughs> but seriously, Howard, you've got some really interesting stuff going on now at this point in your career, and a lot of it goes beyond just what you do for a living, right? Well, let's get yeah. into yeah, your philanthropies and your humanitarian. That's where I was leading, Joe. Yeah, well, I'm, good. All right. Yeah, I'm, okay, good. I'm glad you got that, Joe. <laughs> Let, let's, not, let's not overstate it, but okay. <laughs> Um, I, my, my passion has been since I can remember animals. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, you know, I think people are important, but I just find animals far more interesting. And so, uh, at this point in my career, uh, I have decided to move, try to use my legal skills to the extent I can, but to use my net worth or financial wherewithal as well and whatever other abilities I can scrape together to, uh, to uh, try to protect animal uh, welfare. Mm-hmm. Um, I started a foundation about six years ago called the Foundation for Animal Care and Emergencies, which arose out of the loss of our Cocker Spaniel, mm-hmm. and we knew what it cost to go through the medical problems with him. And um, we were standing at the uh, v- veterinary specialty hospital paying our bill when a young couple came in who had found a little kitten on the roadside whose eyes were completely closed from some sort of infection. And it was a $75 uh, diagnosis fee, which they couldn't pay. And we made an agreement with them that if they would take the kitten and raise her, uh, we would pay it, which we did. And for every year since we've gotten a picture with this most uh, this kitten with these most beautiful green eyes. And so I asked the VSH whether they had a foundation, which they didn't. So we started the Foundation for Animal Care in, uh, in Emergencies. What we do is we raise money to uh, pay for medical costs for life-threatening emergency situations in which people would have to euthanize, make the decision that simply because in this day and age they couldn't afford it because of economic times, because of other economic difficulties, uh, they'd have to euthanize the family pet. We've saved over, I think now over 1,200 uh, pets. We've raised well over $4 million. Holy Um, moly. We have a wonderful, wonderful board of directors. Uh, You can go on our website. I was going to give that right now. Yeah, face the number four and pets, face four, number four, pets.org. And they could find out all about their saving pets and helping families, the Face Foundation. And Great. I can tell you one of the one of the greatest parts about it is not to belabor it is the number of military families mm. uh, where the uh, spouse is uh, is overseas uh, fighting one or another of our many wars, uh, and the children and the spouse here have a pet that's very important to them and mm-hmm. a part of the family. And uh, something happens, car accident, or in one instance, a sock was eaten unexpectedly. 
Um, and the animal would have had to have been the pet. The family pet would have had to been euthanized. It's called economic euthanasia. Mm. If you go on our website, you look at some of the letters and videos, um, I can tell you uh, it'll give you a pretty good idea of, um, of the kind of work that the FACE Foundation does. Now, I'm chairman of the board, uh, but the people who are most responsible for it are our president, Cindy uh, Robb, and our executive director, Brooke Haggerty, mm-hmm. and our wonderful staff. Uh, and they're available 24-7, as you can imagine, because they have to decide these grants on an emergency basis. Hmm. So I'm very proud of that. Do they work with the vet, veterinarians Oh, yeah, all? very important. Thank you for mm-hmm. asking me, mm-hmm. uh, Joe, because what's very important, and i got to get this message out, uh, we have relationships with over 100 veterinarians and veterinary hospitals in San Diego County, all of whom have agreed as part of our Save a Life program to do the procedures to save these animals essentially at cost. Mm. So we're not paying the top dollar, we're not paying their profit, they're donating their time. Um, That's great. In some instances they're doing a, a procedure once a month or once a quarter for free. Wow. And without their support, you can imagine how much mm-hmm. more it would cost us and it would be unfair. We would be simply raising profits for veterinarians. That's so nice. I wanna, Definitely give a shout out to the number of vets who help. Do you have us. an annual event or anything like that? Or uh? we just finished our main annual event mm-hmm. called Bags and Baubles, which has mm-hmm. become a wonderful event. We had over five hundred attendees. It Ooh. is our president's home in Rancho Santa Fe. That's significant. Um, it is in the afternoon, and the wonderful part is there's no black tie, there's no rubber chicken, there's no speeches, <laughs> there's no awards. There's you can no bring your pets. You can bring your pets. Nice. <laughs> and you can spend a wonderful hour, two hours, three hours wandering around a glass. beautiful property, having wow. a glass of wine, That's champagne, nice. some appetizers. Glass of wine and munch on some milk bones. And, wonderful. And buy <laughs> wonderfully donated designer bags. Really? Um, yeah, that, uh, that have provided. We also have one other function, uh, which is a golf tournament um, in November. Um, I don't play. <laughs> I'm going to try this year, but I'm, I'm, I have to do a lot of practicing. That's wonderful. That's at Loma Santa Fe Golf Club. And the mm-hmm. wonderful part about that is that they have let us bring tell our guests that they can bring their dogs out on the golf course. Perfect. Uh, and it's a chance to do that, which everybody that I know says, why can't I take my dog when I'm golfing? Mm-hmm. It's a, you know, it's a, what they call it, a walk in the park gone bad. But at least with your dog. <laughs> the bad really part is fun. the golf. Right. They yeah. can retrieve your balls. And then I know yeah. you're working on the Barry Good Foundation with yes. uh, Michelle. And we got one minute left and you're on a national board of physicians and surgeons. You're a board member there, right? Yeah, that's a, uh, I have to give my friend, uh, Dr. Paul Tierstein, all the credit for that. That is an amazing organization you can go online and see they are a certification organization that is up against a monopoly yeah uh, howard mm-hmm. we have to pause it right there but i really appreciate it thank you so much for being our guest well, and, and richard great seeing you uh, this week and everybody out there have a great week justin hart our sound engineer thanks for making us sound good thanks to craig blakey our account executive and to our programming genius here kfmb dave sniff all these podcasts are iymoney.com get over there and check them out Thanks and have a great week. Good night now.